Welcome back to the Cycling Tips Podcast, everybody. I'm Kaylee Fretz. We've got a slimmed down podcast crew for you this week, mostly because people are just all over the place. Uh, we've got folks going to Eurobike. That's where Ronan and Shoddy are. Actually, James is only about 15 feet away from me right now, but he is uh, predisposed. He's kidding up. We're in the middle of our another one of our, our field tests, which some of our listeners will be familiar with, uh, our second one of the year. And this one's a bunch of gravel bikes, some road bikes, and he's going out and do some testing. So we've packed in a ton to this week. I was able to step away for just a quick bit here to make a podcast. And of course, we've got Dan Cash and Happy Mickey. How are you both? Yeah, good. Yeah. We've got a whole bunch to talk about today. We're going to talk about the Vuelta La Vuelta. La Vuelta. Sorry. Uh, all sorts of storylines cruising through the Vuelta right now. And we've got a fair amount of bike racing coming up otherwise or currently happening. We've got the CMEC Ladies Tour, Plue, Benelux, all sorts of bike racing happening. And then, really briefly, we'll talk tech and a bit of this field test stuff we're doing right now. But before we get into it, if you hear uh, some clippity clopping in the background here... That is the my, my fine colleagues heading out on their field test. I'm standing in a sitting in a in a somewhat echoey room uh, to make this podcast. So I do apologize, but before we get into today's episode, what are we learning about Continental today? Well, sweater weather is coming, and with it, a needed change of tires. Continental's Gator hard shell tires are perfect as the weather becomes a little more unpredictable. Thinking about some of the atrocious weather that we saw at the CMAC Ladies Tour last week, there's also the Continental Grand Prix Four Season. The Four Season are Continental's year-round tire, and like the Gator hard shells, they are a reliable companion for high-mileage road cyclists. Utilizing Conti's Vectron and Duraskin technologies, the Grand Prix Four Season offers superior durability ready for any season. Vectron is a synthetically manufactured high-tech fiber similar to spider silk pretty cool uh if you've seen lord of the rings which came out about 20 years ago um there's a spider in there who i bet would make some pretty rad cycling tires her name is shelob <laughs> it has an enormous tear resistance at a very low weight exactly Wait, the right problem <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry i'm sorry we need to pause this what are you talking about i was comparing continental's vectrin puncture technology to Shelob, the she's not i mean she's a spider sure but lord of the no, rings I unpack this what what, <laughs> what, what what so there's a spider in lord of the rings that makes tires is what you're saying yeah i think she got recruited for continental's um you know environmental uh movement they're making tires out of dandelions so they've also recruited Shelob. For their help with uh, environmentally friendly cycling tires. Interesting. All right, do carry on. Sure. There's obviously a lot more to Shelob than that, but I'm not going to get into it. I'm, I'm, but it's uncomfortable for me to leave it at this, just so you know. What What, what else do we need to know? <laughs> no, not going to get into it. Okay. I could probably Continue talk about onward. it for an hour. <laughs> uh, it has enormous tear resistance at a very low weight. Exactly the right properties for puncture resistance. You can spot the Duraskin by the tire's brown sidewalls. 
Tires with Duraskin sidewall protection are able to roll with the punches of the harshest weather conditions. So if you're putting in a lot of miles across variable weather conditions, Conti's Grand Prix Four Seasons should be your tire of choice. I mean, the real reason to get a tire that's not going to flat when it's gross outside is stopping sucks, right? That's the real reason. It's not so much that like, you know, wet weather flats tires, although sometimes you have more stuff on the roads. It's more that you just really don't want to stop when it's really cold outside and your hands don't work properly. You need a tire that's not going to flat. There you go. Conti Grand Prix for season. Thanks to Continental for sponsoring today's episode. Now, uh, full disclosure here. I have been loosely following the Vuelta uh, and not really at all over the weekend. So, Dane, you're going to have to update me a little bit on what's going on. I've been reading reports, watching the highlights, but... uh, I was up in the mountains all weekend, so didn't get to watch it live. So what's what's where do we stand with the Vuelta today on Monday, August 30th? Well, today, Monday, August 30th, is a rest day. So they're probably not standing. Probably a lot of sitting, relaxing, uh, taking it easy ahead of the final week here. Uh, going, yeah, after after about two weeks of racing, 15 stages to be exact, odd Christian Eiking is still in the lead at at the Welta, which is quite interesting. Uh, he's held on a little bit longer than I expected after he took the jersey from the breakaway with Guillaume Martin in second overall, but uh, sort of the, not really the provisional GC leader, but the, the guy who everybody thinks is going to end up winning, Primoz Roglic, uh, 136 back, but has a pretty strong advantage over Enric Mas and his Movistar teammate Miguel Angel Lopez. Uh, so the, the GC situation has kind of changed officially in that, Roglic is not actually leading the race technically anymore, but the GC situation in terms of what's probably going to end up happening uh, hasn't changed that much in that Roglic remains kind of the top favorite, the clear top favorite to win this race. Um, I think there there is some chance that things will happen in this final week, uh, but, but Roglic has done a really nice job of holding on to his lead. Uh, over the past several days, we've just seen mostly a lot of breakaway action. Uh, there were some interesting stages in there, don't get me wrong. Uh, there were some interesting breakaway stages. Michael Storer picked up his second win of the race. Magnus Court had a great win after uh, nearly winning stage 11 from the break. He went out and won stage 12 in a sprint. That was really impressive. Uh, Florian Seneschal, stage 13, was a great win for the kind of quick step after Fabio Jakobsen was was uh, basically he was dropped in the last uh Inside the last 2K, they couldn't look like they were in great position to win, and, and their sprinter couldn't hold the pace. And they adjusted on the fly, and uh, Florian Seneschal took a great win there for them. Roman Bardet took his uh, first Grand Tour stage win of the year. And Rafael Maika, who won two Mountains jerseys at the Tour de France uh, several years ago, went out and won a, a stage as well over the past several days. So a lot of breakaway wins, uh, a lot of good stage battles, but the GC battle hasn't changed all that much. I think the big, big questions right now are, well, first of all, how far is Odd Christian Aiken going to go? Uh, he's, like I said, he's held on a lot longer than I expected. Uh, there are two very hard stages in the final week that he will almost certainly lose uh, a boatload of time on. Uh, but he hasn't lost a boatload of time yet, so credit to him and the Intermarché Wanti Gobert Material team for putting a guy in red. I mean, this is this has been a season, you know, it's their first World Tour season, they haven't had that many big results which is not that unexpected, I have to say. Putting two guys in red, technically. That's true. That's that's right, Rain Teramai. Uh So really nice race for them. And now it's sort of a question of, well, when's he going to drop? Um, 
Yeah, I'm thinking soon. He's currently 100 to 1 to win the Vuelta, which to me seems like a, like a bargain. I mean, I don't think, I think he's got like a 1.5% chance of winning the Vuelta, which is, I mean, that's a good deal if you can get 100 to 1 odds on something that is like a 1.5% chance of happening. Well, I think he can hold on to it tomorrow. I would agree that I think he can hold on to it tomorrow. I guess, is the, I mean, is this like an, like an Alaphilippe, Thomas Vokler kind of situation, right? I mean, neither of them ended up winning the race, but both actually ended up holding on to pretty decent GC positions by the end. Um, like, is he, I mean, he could stay in the top five. He could stay in the podium even, perhaps. Uh, he's ridden pretty darn well thus far. I mean... There is something to be said for for having that leader's jersey on your shoulders, right? And the, and a fair number of riders who, in the right scenario, like can ride sort of further up the GC than they're ever sort of given the opportunity to do. And maybe he's maybe he's one of them. There's also the possibility of terrible weather causing the race to neutralize two stages. I think that's the most likely way he wins the race is if they have to neutralize both <laughs> mountain stages. But all I'm saying is I think it's a slightly, it's a better than 0% chance, you know. Mm. I will say that I put on a sweater today and it was the best day that I've had in months. So, Because <laughs> it's cold there? Because it's not absolutely brutally hot, which it was in Spain for the guys racing last week, a couple of days. It was just insanely hot. But I think for uh, for odd Christian Iking, the stages 17 and 18, like you said, Dane, are going to be kind of the 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 break, the break stages that are probably going to possibly see him lose the red, but also see how far he can go and and. I, it's funny at this point we will kind of be asking oh but is he is he a gc rider in the future like is he gonna be i mean that's what happened with julian all philippe everyone was like well can he win the tour i think that's mostly because he's french though right well he's like, also really really good he's really good yeah i mean odd christian eiking seems to be particularly good he's pretty darn good he's like, pretty good i don't think he's on. Philippe level good hmm. yeah Probably not. I, I think at the end of the day, Primoz Roglic is going to uh, pretty easily, or, or he and his team, and also Movistar, are going to end up dropping. Like, uh, stage 17 and 18 are really hard. So if just for a look at what's coming up. 17, they're going to they're gonna climb. After doing uh, a Cat 3 and two Cat 1s, they're going to climb to Lagos de Covadonga. I think it's a Especial category climb, I think. it's a, you know That's a, the Vuelta version of an Or category climb. And then stage 18, they're going on a on a really hard finish, which is 14.6K in length and 9.8% average gradient, which is... Ow. That is really hard. Uh, to me, that's going to put uh, Christian Eiking, you know, 20 minutes off the back, I would guess. That's a that's too hard of a climb for for a guy to hang on if he's not been... Uh, if he's not one of the best. It'd be odd if he was still there. Wow. The first of many, I hope, uh, <laughs> for this podcast. I've I was been surprised holding, you waited I've this I've been long. holding them in the entire episode so far and that's the first one that's let slip and i promise no i don't promise it'll likely be the last but i make okay, guarantees right. uh i have a couple questions i have a couple questions one is the presence of these really hard stages at the end of the race and this is actually more of a statement it seems like it is the reason why we've had all these successful breakaways that are taking time that are putting riders in red for a significant period of time because it's like the, the you know the hot favorite for the race pretty much roglic right he's kind of willing to wait and he's kind of he knows in the back of his head that right at the end of this race he's got two stages 
where he can probably take minutes, right? He can take minutes on almost everybody. Uh, and he's got his close GC rivals, well, already behind him. And even if they're close, they are, they are behind him. And everybody else doesn't really worry him. So it's it, that the, the presence of those stages at the end of the race has really affected the entire race, right? I think it has. I also think for Roglic, there's less of an impetus at Yumbo Visma since sometime last year to do the Sky Train, uh, and I think we're the, just Grand Tours in general are really getting away from that. And and that the, the the Sky approach for so many years helped keep breakaways in check as a sort of byproduct of them hitting the tempo so hard every day. And I just don't we just don't see that nearly as much as we we used to it this this year and, and last year too. But this year in particular, we've seen so many breakaway days. And yeah, Roglic and his team don't seem all that interested in, in doing that. And we've seen a couple of other teams kind of try it here and there a little bit, but there just hasn't been this sustained, the leader's jersey, his team is going to take over the race every day, and that's going to spell the end for the breakaways. Uh, and, and I think it's, it's a couple, I think it's those things combined. It's the fact that Roglic knows he doesn't really need to do it because these stages are going to be so hard that, that he's going to end up in the red jersey anyway. Um, and yeah, also that I don't, I don't think they see much benefit to chasing down the brakes. And that means we just keep getting all these breakaway days, which I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I think there's a, there's certainly a place for breakaway stages in grand tours. I do think we've seen an, enough of them this year that I'm kind of like, okay, that, that's about as many as I need to see, uh, breakaway days because it, it we had, like, I think the, the, the stage on Sunday, Sunday stage, there was just not a lot going on in the, in the GC battle behind the breakaway. And yeah, I, I I don't know. We, we could use a little bit more GC action, I think, at the front of the race rather than letting the breakaways go almost every day, I have to say. It's interesting that Roglic is kind of attacked at really weird points in this race. And like a couple stages ago, he crashed himself out on a sandy corner when he really didn't need to be attacking. I mean, it was awesome to see. Like, I love aggressive racing. So sure, if you felt like you wanted to attack right there, go for it. But then he did crash and he crashed again on one of the stages this weekend. And it, and it seems like when the road goes uphill and he has the upper hand on everybody, he's not making any moves, but when he's, he's kind of trying to catch people out, which is a really exciting way of racing, but is so different from what we're used to seeing for such a long time that it's hard to process it. Why, why is he doing that? Like what, why, he doesn't, like you said, he doesn't need to do some of this stuff. He he put himself in, in danger the other day. I think it's a Froome after winning one tour thing we're seeing here where people were critical of Froome and the sky riding store, uh, the, the sky riding style for being uninventive, uninteresting. And Froome was like, okay, fine. I'll go attack on downhills, even though I don't need to, even though I'm going to win this bike race by five minutes anyway. Uh, and I think Roglic likes winning bike races. The guy's a competitor he feels like I think he's pretty confident that he's going to win this race, assuming he, you know, stays in the same shape he's been and he's going to win this race handily, I think. And I think he likes winning. I think he likes winning stages. I think he likes winning everything he can. And he wants to prove to people that he's an uh, interesting racer and entertaining racer. I think he's gotten some criticism a little bit for being not as entertaining or interesting as as uh, other riders. And I think he wants to go out there and prove that he can be. And I think that's fine. And, and he's sort of, it's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation where if he doesn't attack, if he doesn't do this kind of, yeah, fun stuff, people will criticize him for different reasons. And if he does, then he might crash. I'm all for it. But yeah, like I still see from the director's perspective, we're like, why, 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 why are you doing that? 
that's just dangerous and you don't really need to. But it is, it's it's a there does seem to be a change in Grand Tour tactics in the last couple of years. And, you know, we, we we posited before that maybe this was just sort of a generational thing. Um, I actually think you can put Roglic in a younger generation than he actually is age-wise because he's sort of started quite late, right? Uh, you know, didn't didn't start, didn't race at a high level at, as a 19-year-old kind of thing. So you can kind of almost put him in with with riders that are five, six, seven years younger than him. And it does feel like either maybe a generational shift, perhaps in response to what they saw during the sky years. But there's got to be other there's got to be other things to it, too. There's got to be other pieces to it, too, that, just, that, that are changing the way that these things, these grand tours in particular are raced. And I think in general, for the better, right, in general, more entertaining. Yes, there's there's always some snoozer stages. That's that's the reality of grand tours. But like. You know, this year's tour, GC battle, not that amazing, but day-to-day, like a fantastic Tour de France, right? And at least we get one, if not both. Uh, whereas in a more traditional year, eight years ago, we wouldn't have, got, we, we wouldn't, wouldn't have gotten either, right, at this Tour de France. And probably the same thing in this Vuelta. So, I don't know. I like it. I'm, I approve. I think that uh, riders taking some risks, even if they're unnecessary, perhaps, it helps the sport out. So, I have a, I have, I have another question. I have a Vuelta question. What's happening to Egan Bernal? What's going on? You know, we talked a lot during the tour about being sad that he wasn't at the tour because we felt like, like he would have changed the dynamic right at that Tour de France. But based on what I'm seeing at this Vuelta, I don't think he would have. I don't think he would have changed the dynamic at the Tour de France. Uh, he doesn't seem to be at the same level he was at the Giro. You know, he's had these sort of ongoing back problems. Do we have any any insight into what's going on with him? I think the answer is basically no. I think it, it could be too many things. There are too many possibilities for what it could be for us to say definitively that it's it's one or the other. I mean, first of all, it is his second Grand Tour of the year. He did win a Giro earlier in the year, and I think he planned to peak for the Giro, and he did, and he won the Giro pretty handily. Uh, so maybe he's just tired, and that's entirely like that's an entirely reasonable explanation that I don't think we I don't think is a sky is falling concern for any of us. I didn't mean to make a sky pun there, but I did. Uh embrace it, Dan. Just yeah, embrace it. Roll I guess I will. pretend you did it on purpose. I did mean to. It was great. Uh so there's that. I, I think the back thing that could be an issue. He's been it's it's interesting because he's mentioned the back. He's talked about his back and, and how it's just gonna be a problem for him. But he hasn't at this race said, my back is bothering me and it's going to keep me from doing anything. He hasn't mentioned that as a big reason for, for what's going on. Um, and then, of course, there's, there's the fact that uh, he did have a little bit of time off. And, and so even if, you know, even if he is able to get back into form, even if it's not like he's fatigued or anything, um, he, maybe he was coming into this race a little bit, a little bit you know, underdone. And was hoping to kind of be stronger in that final week, which is going to be really hard, uh, the week coming up here. He is almost three minutes behind Roglic on the GC, which is probably too much. Uh, but, you know, Tadej Pogacar took like three minutes on a single stage at the Tour. Uh, I, 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 don't, I don't think Egan Bernal was going to win this this race at this point. But I, I do think there are and there is enough... There are enough challenging stages in the final week that he certainly could have planned to come in to peak in the final week, and uh, it, the plan just hasn't, hasn't really worked to perfection. Uh, but we could still see him flying in the final week. I think we've seen him getting better over the course of the race. He did, he did look pretty good 
in the mountains the last uh, the last time we saw them going up. So maybe he's getting better, and it probably won't be enough to win the race. But he he could have just kind of timed his his peaking a little bit wrong. He does seem to need altitude too. Uh, you know, I, I we've talked about this before as well, but he does seem to really excel at you know sort of eighteen hundred meters, two thousand meters plus, and haven't had a lot of that thus far at this Welta. Uh, I wonder if that could be part of it as well. And this is a race that hasn't, yeah, there just hasn't, there haven't been, and there probably won't be. I mean, yeah, the, the, the two stages that are going to be really hard in this final week, they do go to altitude. The Lagos de Covadonga stage though only goes to a thousand meters. It's this, it's stage 18 that really, I guess goes to altitude 1762 meters for that, for that finish, but it's not like they're going to 2200 meters. Um, it's not the kind of thing that I think Egon Bernal really shines at. They just haven't really spent much time in the places where you get that in Spain. Uh, they just kind of this year's route didn't didn't go there. They, they kind of they kind of went for a different route. And I think it's been a nice route. Uh, a lot of a lot of interesting climbs, but not a whole lot of uh, high altitude. In that. And that's been tough for Bernal. And he's not going to have much of that in the final week either. I have a final Vuelta thought here. Which is that EF is actually having a pretty good season. You know, Dane, you, you and I were talking about this on on the Sigma Tips Slack the other day. Uh, I think you actually were going to even try to hit up Vodders at some point. Because, I mean, this is remember, this is a team that went, what was it, two full seasons without winning a World Tour race? Uh, we've got 12 victories, I believe, thus far. That's not all World Tour victories, but 12 victories thus far this year. That's, they've actually had a pretty solid, granted, two of those most recent and high pro, highest profile come from the same rider. You know, stage of the Vuelta, stage of the Giro, two stages of Paris-Nice, uh, two stages of Tour de Suisse. Pretty darn good. Pretty darn good year thus far. Better yeah, than I expected. They've done a really nice job, uh, I think, with some of the newer talents that have come to this team. Magnus Court being a, a really big pickup for them. He was a rider who clearly was a very talented rider and, and showed that in his earlier years with Orica and then uh, Astana. Uh Somebody who was kind of just, he, he would, generally speaking, he did get some wins, but he would be close to the wins. And I think they did a really nice job of picking him up because he was a rider who clearly had the potential to take big wins. He's very versatile. And as we've seen some of the, well, mostly just Peter Sagan, uh, not maybe winning as many bike races, riders who have a similar skill set have really seemed to come to the fore and are starting to win more and more bike races now. Um, and kind of take up that spot. And, and Cord is one of those riders who can, yeah, as he showed in this race when on stage 11, he very nearly uh, won out of the breakaway on a, on a tough finishing, you know, uphill gradient. And then the very next day, he, he won a, a reduced sprint. He's a really versatile rider like that. And I think EF did a great job in, in picking him up. Uh, I, yeah, I think it's, it's a matter of just some of those signings have, have worked out. And it's tough for EF. I mean, they, they don't have the budget of other teams. They're not going to go get the guy that wins the Tour de l'Avenir uh, every year. And, and that, that rider is going to go to UAE or it's, he's going to go to Ineos. Like that, that's just kind of how it works. Uh, but they've done a nice job, I think, with some of their recent signings. And I'm sure Hugh Carthy was hoping for a better Vuelta to, to kind of take it back on EF a little bit. Uh, but at the end of the day, they, they did, in signing Hugh Carthy, they get a, a guy who finished on the podium at the Vuelta. I, I do think he's a success story for the team, even if he hasn't had the best year. Uh, but yeah, just a lot of nice signings that have kind of turned out for them. I... I- I sometimes wonder if teams like that would be better off taking more of like a quick step model, right? Where, I mean, quick step doesn't really try to win grand tours. If they want to 
Tour de France, it'd be by accident, right? It'd be like Julian Alphilippe being just this incredible individual rider. They don't build teams around around GC riders generally, at least not not GC riders that are targeting anything more than about a week long. And and promise GC riders are really expensive, right? They're they're very very expensive, and there's really there's not a whole lot of like luck involved in winning a Tour de France or winning a Giro or, or winning a Vuelta. Yes, maybe you've got three or four riders who could all win, and the one that does has to be a bit lucky. But if you're not in that three or four, no amount of luck is going to win you a Grand Tour. And so you kind of have to pay for just the super talents. So I kind of wonder if, if yeah, just stepping away from stepping away from caring as much about Grand Tours, basically, and go, go full in for stage hunting, full in for sprints, full in for just winning a lot of bike races, if that would be better off. But at the same time, EF, the company probably cares a lot about the Tour de France and probably cares a lot about having someone in the top 10 of the Tour de France and things like that. So it's it's a kind of between a rock and a hard place there because, yeah, I mean, frankly, like the, the more sort of financial disparity that exists in professional cycling, the harder it is for teams like EF or, I mean, well, probably 13, 14 of the, of the World Tour teams total, it becomes really hard for them to actually compete in those biggest grand tours the, 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 the biggest races on the on those overall fighting for the gc type of stuff right because if you can't afford pogacar or you can't afford bernal or you can't afford roglic then then what are you gonna do because there's really not a whole lot of random riders winning grand tours these days yeah i think they've actually kind of done that a little bit already i mean yes they have rigoberto Iran, but if you look at their roster they, they don't have eight guys who are going to comprise the best Tour de France, you know, support squad out there. Uh, that's what Ineos does. They they kind of amass riders who can finish fifth or sixth at a Grand Tour on their own, and they put them to work for their stars. And EF does have Rigoberto around, but behind him, they don't have a lot of that. And I think they're spending their money elsewhere on, yeah, diamonds in the rough, like like uh, Magnus Court and, uh, well, Alberto Betiol going to win, uh, went on to win a, a Flanders title with them. That was another big, big signing for them. So I think they've already done that a little bit, and it's a, kind of a credit to Vauders for, for shifting gears and, and pulling that off. No real sprinters, though. Like, no high-end sprinter. I kind of think that's a similar situation. Stuff, seems like an oversight. I think that's a similar situation, though. Uh, yeah, you might win a stage at the Catalonia, might win a sprint stage at Catalonia, but... If you don't have one of the three or four top guys, you're not going to win a, a tour stage sprint. And generally speaking, I, I think that that's a lot of effort. You know, if, if you're going to build a sprint train around a rider, you're, you're putting a lot of resources into winning one or two sprint stages, maybe, uh, unless you have the very, very best in the world. When you could have instead, you know, four or five stage hunters to, to try to throw at the breakaways, which are increasingly sticking in 2020 and 2021. So I think, again, I think that makes sense. Uh, they did try. They have tried to have sprinters over the years, and uh, I, I don't know that that's the best use of resources unless you've got the very best in the world. Yeah, I'm looking through the I'm looking through their roster at the moment. You're right. There's there's a fair amount of of just sort of stage hunting talent, and I can't imagine Rigo or Carthy are that expensive anymore. Uh, Rigo is probably still on quite a bit of quite a bit of salary. Uh, Hugh's probably on. A decent salary but they don't have any any massively expensive gc riders and they have kind of filled it in with a bunch of uh stage hunters which again 
they're having a pretty good year. So it's working. I mean, tw like 12 wins is a lot more wins than they had a couple years ago. Uh, it's 12 more than they had a couple years ago. So something's working over there. Anyway, like I said, EF kind of stood out to me. Uh, it's not often that, that you know, they'll win a couple stages or win a bunch of Grand, grand Tour stages in a given year. So doing something right over there. All right, that's enough on EF. Guillaume Martin. Shotty Dave, are you listening right now? You're not on the podcast, but are you listening? He is in second place right now, Dane. Yeah, and he's a rider who, unlike Odd Christian Eiking, is, you know, maybe could actually hold on, on on one of those climbs. I don't know about holding on both of those climbs. It's going to be tough. He's not somebody who's really had that much experience sticking with the GC riders over and over again on the really hard climbs. But uh, I think probably a little bit more likely than the guy currently in red uh, to hold on. Still very, very unlikely. But yeah, maybe. He's a great climber. And... He's got the support of Dave Everett to really, you know, buffet his his sales. Maybe, yeah, probably not. But I'm, it'll be great if that happened, and we could have Dave on, and he'd be so happy. Yeah, he's got what forty seconds over Roglic at the moment. Uh, yeah, even if he does survive the climb, he'll lose three minutes in the TT. But yeah, minute fifteen on Enric Moss. I mean, ugh, looks pretty darn good for a podium to me. I mean, this is a rider who has spent a fair amount of time in the top five of overalls pretty deep into grand tours. So if his legs are good and he's coming around and clearly like he's up there, right. Then I could totally see him finish on the, on the podium here, which like, I, I just love having, <laughs> I love having riders that take advantage of, of time gains like that uh, to end up on the podium of a grand tour, right? Like that's, you should get rewarded for going all in like that. I think we should maybe close the Vuelta discussion out on a similar note with the team that started has started to try to do that. Uh, it's really the only team I think that has a hope of taking on Roglic. If we're really if we're being realistic, uh, it's Movistar because they have both Enric Mas and Miguel Angel Lopez in kind of a position to maybe challenge him. Mas is close enough that I think it wouldn't be a, a, a huge surprise if he were to overhaul Roglic it would be a, a big surprise it wouldn't be a huge one uh, he's not a bad time trialist he, he's unlike Miguel Angel Lopez he's not going to lose 27 minutes in the final TT um, he might only lose a minute and so he's going to need to take a lot of time but they, they have shown a willingness over the past few days to, to try uh, to, to try to put in the attacks and see if they can leverage the fact that they have two riders there in that kind of striking distance of Primoz Roglic. Uh, they're going to have two more really good opportunities on stages 16 or stages 17 and 18 coming up. Uh, I'm really hopeful that they will give it a go. And I think, I, like I said, I've seen some encouraging signs. It hasn't been a, yeah, there hasn't been a Fuente de Abrocontador attempt or anything like that. But yeah, we've seen some encouraging signs and I'm, I'm hopeful that both of those riders will try something uh, stage 17 and 18 and, and yeah, put to the test whether having two riders this deep into a grand tour that close to the the lead actually can be a good strategy we'll we'll see let's move on can i make a can i make a joke yes i can't figure about, out how to is word it, about it. Odd? yeah i was gonna say something along the lines of well i hope that our friend christian eiking beats all the odds to win but it doesn't work because beating all the odds means beating himself so i mean we just want guillaume martin primos roglic <laughs> To beat the odd, right? Huh. Do we, we think do it's we likely? Though? Not that we I think want. It'd be cool, you know. I think, I be, think I mean, it would be cool. Should, I shouldn't it'd say be want. So cool. Yeah, I think it's likely. I think if I'm putting my pundit hat on here for a second, I think that uh, they they will almost certainly beat the odd. Yeah, probably. <laughs> this is really, uh, it's really hurting. Just listening to this is it's a painful experience. 
<laughs> I apologize to our listeners oh, out there. Dear. It had to be done. I I mean, I think we get our podcast rights taken away if we don't make dumb jokes about people's names. Yeah. Right? Probably. All right, let's move let's move on. We've got some other racing and we're also going to hear from Lizzie Dynan later in this show. I forgot to mention it at the beginning, but we're basically going to drop a bit of the freewheeling podcast into today's episode and Abby you talk to Lizzie so we'll get to that in just a little bit first let's rip through C-Mac Lady Store, Plue, and Benelux we've got some other racing going on right now let's start with the C-Mac Lady Store yeah it was a really exciting race speaking of a uh, breakaways that are not expected to stay away and then stay away Mariana Voss won the prologue but Allison Jackson one stage one and it was a her and one other rider were off the front and it was pretty apparent that they were going to get caught and then they just never got caught and allison jackson won her first world tour race and also took the leader's jersey the second stage was won by marlon rusa the uh time trial time trial stage she's she's like real good real good at time trialing and uh she's on Heaven help the Peloton when she's on the Specialized next year when she rides for SD Works, because I imagine it's a lot faster than Cipollini. Is that a bike brand? It is. It is a bike brand, and it is from the guy. Oh, it is guy. also a very creepy old man. Yeah. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> I met him you don't one have to time. Apologize for that. That's that's now. I think I think legally you can yeah. refer to him as that now, no. thanks to the Italian court system. Thank you, Italian court system. Stage three, <laughs> stage three was, uh, was actually the craziest stage of the race. This one was the one where about five, five and 5.9, 5.9 kilometers ago, 5.4 around that mark kilometers ago, there was a massive crash. Um, Lorena Webus, who was sitting in the top 10 of the Peloton, her wheel slipped off the side of the very narrow Belgian road. And, uh, Tom's and I were watching it and he was like, oh yeah, those Belgian roads, um so it's a known it's it was a known like thing. the pavement the pavement like cut in for a bit or like maybe went yeah. out went wider for a short amount of time then in for a bit and then wider again so she basically just rode off into the dirt and then hit this lip almost parallel which anybody whoever's like trying to ride across railroad tracks parallel for example it doesn't end well Oh god that just made my skin crawl because yeah the fear. Well, I mean, that's basically what happened to her right like her front wheel just whoosh there's no saving that the only way you're gonna get up the only way you're saving that is to literally hop back up but it happened so fast there was just absolutely no chance for her i mean they were they were on their way to a sprint finish and she was hands down the absolute favorite to win i mean she's nearly unbeatable in sprints this year so they were going really fast when she hit that lip and i mean it's multiple inches high so there was yeah there was no way and in the crash the basically the entire peloton went down i mean there were girls flying all over the place. Kristen Myers is apparently side job is a ninja because she, her bike was parallel to the ground and she still managed to ride into the grass before she went over the handlebars. Um, she's quite, quite injured. I don't know the details, but she didn't start the next day. So a lot of, a lot of women were injured in that crash. Uh, Emma Norsgaard as well. Uh, Cecily Ludwig. I mean, the list is very long, but 
Six riders stayed upright, four SE Works, and two Team DSM. And uh, Lonica Unikin took the win. And Chantel Vandenberg Black nearly moved into the overall. She was one of the four SE Works riders, and she was only... Uh, she was the closest to Marlon Russa on time. And after stage three, only 10 seconds separated the two. So you knew that stage four was going to be pretty crazy. And it was. So stage four and five were actually both won by Mariana Voss. They were both really exciting stages, very fast, lots of weather, uh, stage five in particular, if you are like, Hey, I missed some women's racing this weekend. I'm going to go back and watch it. Watch stage five of the CMAC ladies tour because it was pretty, pretty awesome. The finale of stage four was a, a little bit frustrating to watch given that the Peloton was 30 seconds behind the girls out front and they were basically standing still on the final climb. And you were like, someone please do something. Why are you, why are you standing still? Uh, you only need 10 seconds to take the GC, but Hey, Chantal Vanderbilt black won the whole thing. Um, Back to back, uh, she won in 2019. There was no, there was no addition in 2020, and uh, Marianne Voss took three stages. So the boss is still the boss. Next was Monday today, the GP de Plouay World Tour one day, um, the last World Tour one day before the World Championships. So a world's prep race. Not a lot of the women who did the CMAC Ladies Tour went to the GP de Plouay, but. It was such an exciting race. Oh my gosh. It was just chaos. The whole thing was chaos. It was attack after attack after attack. Elisa Longaborghini is back on form and she just looked incredible the entire race. She took the win solo and, uh, yeah, great race quality racing. If you want to hear more about it, tune into the free Reeling podcast later this week, because there's so much to talk about and we have another world tour race coming up. The Vuelta. It's, it's kind of- Feast or famine, feast or famine on the, on the women's calendar. Yeah, this is, this is right now. I don't like it. I like it when they're spread, not when they're spread out months apart, but when there's, you know, a week or two between fine, but when they're all on top of each other, I mean, I don't know why Movistar didn't feel the team at all in the GP to Plue, um, but they didn't. And I think that there's the, one of the really interesting things I was talking to Lizzie about is one of the conversations that Kaylee, you bring up all the time about how, um, the women have this linear storyline through the, through the season because there's less racing. So all the top riders go to all the racing. And Lizzie said that actually is not great because it means that as a leader, you are expected to be on form all year and they're just human. And so it's actually really unhealthy. Um, so that was one of the interesting things that we talked about. And this week kind of, I don't know, this week kind of was a weird one with who was at what races and the teams having to break up specific ways and Anamik Van Vluten didn't do any of them. So that was weird. And yeah. I mean, I see what she's talking about, that like, it'd be hard to be on form all year. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not, we're not going to have this discussion. I'm sorry that I just led you on into thinking that we were having this conversation. No, no, no. We don't have time for that today. Unfortunately, I don't feel bad for her. (laughs) (laughs) She's got a whole team. She's got other leaders that can be fast at different times. I think it's fine. Yep. All right, we'll move on from that. We don't need to discuss calendar issues again. Well, that seems like a good transition, actually. Let's 
hear from Lizzie. But we finally have a women's tour de France. How do you think it's going to impact the the Peloton and the schedule and everything? Um, I think it's going to be huge. I hope it's going to be huge um, because we. I think we need it to be. I think we're at a point. It's like a tipping point now, and I think it's um, it needs to happen. And I'm really happy it's happening. I think uh, most teams, I would have thought, would completely focus on it. I mean, there's other important racing around it, but I think none are as big as the Tour de France in terms of what they can do exposure-wise for their sponsors. So I expect it to be everyone on form, everyone firing and everyone going for it. Is there an element of that not being good for women's cycling if we kind of look at how much impact the men's Tour de France has on teams, on the on the calendar, on how the entire season is raced? And the women's side is a little bit, they have a little bit more freedom. There's a kind of linear line that goes, linear line, that's repetitive. <laughs> the whole season where you see a lot of the best riders at, a, at all the racing because there's not a ton. And on the men's side, you know, we had two of the best in the sport, Roglic and Pogachar, missed the all the lead-up races to the tour because they wanted to peak for that in the Olympics. But mm-hmm. that doesn't happen on the women's side. And is there... Do you see the the tour, the women's Tour de France, having any kind of negative impact on women's racing? Uh, no, because I don't see that as a negative. I see that as um, athletes cannot perform all year all year round, and I find that actually a negative in women's cycling. That it's an expectation as a leader in the team that you have to perform all year round, and becoming a specialist or peaking at the right time is sometimes difficult to do if you have the pressure to perform all the time. Um, so I hope that actually, yeah, maybe that it does become shaped a bit, a little bit more like the Tour de France because, sorry, a bit more like the men's side, because if you're expected to be competing at the Tour de France in top shape, then it's, it's, it's humanly necessary to not be performing two months before it and two months after it. So um, hopefully it'll lead to more professionalism, more depth within the teams, more um, specific structure for riders within the teams. Yeah, and I think it's already kind of evident that it's going to lead to teams kind of forced to be more professional, forced to pay the riders more just because of the level that teams will need to be to be able to compete at the Tour, which is something that your team has... Trek Segafredo has done an amazing job of kind of setting the bar where a team should, what a team should be doing for their riders and for the sport. Yeah, Trek have been brilliant. Like they've really led the way in terms of the quality. Um, and it takes a team like that to kind of push everyone else to do it as well. Um, the standard has definitely been risen by Trek. Yeah. Well, for my final question, um, I have insider knowledge on your team <laughs> and oh. I know from, for a fact that you're one of the most positive people on the team. And also whenever you're around the conversations at the dinner table are always a lot more high spirited. Oh my God, I thought you were going to say something else. <laughs> I do know what the conversations are about, but I can't bring it up on a podcast. <laughs> okay. How do you keep so positive? How, do, what's, what's your secret? Being, I, I practice being grateful, definitely. 
um I'm, I think that's a huge thing a huge kind of motto to live by to be grateful for what you have and sometimes I think I have too much perspective and I think God, I wish I was as invested emotionally as some of my teammates in the races because I think I may be missing that kind of real desire maybe but then on reflection I think well no because I'm balanced and I'm happy and it's okay but um yeah it's always to me just bike riding it's just a bike race and there'll be another one there you go Lizzie Dynan chatting with Abby was it uh late last week you two caught up there is more to that interview uh, but you gotta head over to freewheeling subscribe listen to that podcast if you want to get the whole thing now, a couple other small notes before we wrap up here. Uh, there was a mountain bike world championships over the weekend. Um, an American won a, won a gold in the short track. Christopher Blevins, Durango native. Nino Schurter won gold in the men's cross country. Evie Richards won the women's cross country. Who won the women's short track? I missed the women's short track. Fry, Cena Fry, right? Cena Fry. Cena Fry. Cena Fry. Uh, yeah, I, I, we don't do a ton of cross country at cycling tips, but I think a lot of our audience out there, I think a lot of them ride mountain bikes. We all ride mountain bikes for the most part. Uh, so we're going to talk about a little bit more going forward because mountain biking is awesome and worlds is great. Uh, my personal favorite from the entire weekend was Greg Menar winning the downhill. Uh, he hasn't, he won a series of world championships from the 2000 eight or nine was his first and then 15 I think was his last world's medal so it's been a while he's been around the block a couple times and pulled out uh, a, 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 an astonishing run if you can go find it do so over the weekend to win world championships yet again congrats to Greg Bernard now that's really far outside our particular our cycling tips wheelhouse that's much more pink bike uh, but you know a rider who has 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 done that much in their career, and then downhill is just decided by you know fractions of a second most of the time. And so, if you lose anything, you're you're not gonna, you're going to stop winning races, right? And so, to to go that long without a world's medal and then come back and and take the rainbow bands it was an amazing ride. Last but not least, today we got sort of a. The, I don't know, the, the E3 Harold Becca of this weird fall with Roubaix at the end, right? Like, so we've got basically a, in the Benelux tour is, it's a little mini, little mini classic, I guess. It's a stage race uh, if for anything, classics riders. Yeah, stage race for, that's a better way to put it. Stage race for classics riders. Basically, if you are preparing for Flanders Worlds, uh, you might want to be there because not all the big names are there, but there's, there's a fair number, Dane. Uh, it's a pretty good prep race, right? What have we seen? Yeah, it, this whole weekend, really, honestly, this whole period, uh, some riders with the Vuelta, and, and we've seen increasing over the last decade or so, more and more riders skipping the Vuelta to do this sort of one-week one race and one-day race circuit that kind of run concurrently with the Vuelta. So over the weekend, there was the Bretagne Classic, the race in Plouet, where Benoit Costefois beat Julien Alaphilippe, really impressively, by the way. Alaphilippe and, and Costefois and Mikael Froelich, uh, Honoré had gotten away in this Long-range attack, and Kosnofra, former under-23 world champ who hasn't done a whole lot in his pro career from a world tour perspective, went out and beat none other than Alaphilippe. But Alaphilippe looking good for, for Worlds uh, in his own right. 
Yeah, and then Benelux Tour gets underway today, on Monday, and you've got some of the big talents there, not all of them, uh, but yeah, Remco Evenepoel, he's a he's a pretty big talent. Uh, Mass Pedersen, former world champion, and, and a couple of other riders. Then you got a whole week here to kind of ride around on classics-style terrain and, yeah, get yourself ready for the classics-style terrain that we unusually uh, have at the end of the season this year. I mean, it's normally kind of the Italian races, the, the hilly classics, but this year we get, like you said, Roubaix, and we get a, a, a world championships, which is going to be on, on Flemish ground, and that's going to allow riders like Evan Apool and, uh, yeah, Pedersen and, and a number of other riders who are doing these the one days or the one weeks uh, who might, yeah, might, might like their chances uh, and at least are going to try to see how they can go at the, at the Benelux Tour. Tim Merlier, of course, the... Alpes and Fenix sprinter who has had a great season won the opening stage. Um, we'll see how the rest of the race goes. The defending champion not there. This is the other big news item I think that we can kind of close out with. Matthew Vanderpool, of course, was the winner of last year's race back when it was called the Bink Bank Tour. Uh, they finally gave it the name of where they race instead of the sponsor. Uh, he is having some back issues and he won't. He isn't at the Benelux Tour and he was going to be doing some mountain bike racing and canceled those plans uh his team says that he'll be that, that there's no reason to expect that he won't be ready for worlds and roubaix uh but it's certainly kind of concerning that he hasn't been able to do the calendar that he had planned on including the, the you know the uh mountain bike races so we'll see how he is feeling but yeah just keep an eye on the the uh, the classics guys because we do have this sort of return of the spring classics races coming up even though the vuelta is on right now i think it's great I kind of like Roubaix at the end of the year. I like Roubaix at the end of the end of the year more than I like Lombardia at the end of the year for some reason. I don't really know why. Like I'm not sure I'd leave it there, but I appreciate that it's there this year. I kind of like it. Plus, we get the first ever women's pair Roubaix, which is amazing. I'm not holding my breath. I am not holding my breath either. Like I currently have flights to Worlds and Roubaix, um, but apparently the European Union is thinking about shutting down travel to or from the Americas again. Uh, or from the U.S. in particular, so that's fun. <laughs> so maybe maybe I'll be there. Maybe oh I won't. We'll find out. Anyway, uh, no real nerd nugget today. As I said, James is deep deep in our next field test. You'll be able to see all of the content from that showing up on CyclingTips.com in about two or three weeks' time. I can. I'm sitting in the room right now with all the bikes, and so today's nerd nugget is just uh, be excited. There's a lot of really cool bikes in this room. We don't need a nerd nugget. We have a full nerd podcast late, coming later this week. It's a secret podcast, but it's we dropping do, later actually. this week. And that's we all your nerdiness. Secret. We have a top secret nerd podcast. It's going to be in the same. If you're subscribed to this, if you're listening to this podcast, you will get it. It'll just show up in your little feed there. Uh, there is something exciting coming. We're under strict embargo. They will cut out my tongue. If I say anything more, say something. Literally, it's written in there. I signed it. <laughs> say something. <laughs> I think it's launching tomorrow, this thing. And then Tell us. we'll have a big podcast on it on Friday, I believe. Possibly Thursday. Depend, depends when we decide, decide to put it up, basically. So keep an ear out for that. Keep an eye out for all of the sweet, sweet tech content and unbiased reviews that come out of our field tests lots of video as well if you don't subscribe to our youtube channel go and do that and we'll be back next week bye everybody see you